Oh, hi, podcast listeners. There's many ways you can listen to The Real Nerds Podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can also subscribe on Stitcher Radio. You want to send us a Twitter message? You can do that. It's so easy, at Real Nerds. Like us on Facebook, Real Nerds Podcast. You can visit our website, realnerdspodcast.com, where there'll be a lot of articles for you to not only read, but to listen to our previous shows. Do you like your stories told through pictures? Then you can also follow us at Real Nerds on Instagram. You can also call us, 720-6Nerds5. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Camera, action! Well, a real nerd knows who shot, and a real nerd can follow the plot, and a real nerd can... Just talk film! I'm sorry. Take it outside. This is Real Nerds Podcast. We are officially the best movie podcast on the whole of the internet. I am Ryan. Joining me is Brad. <laughs> internet hole. And uh, someone else is joining us this week, uh, Zach. Hello. Every week on Real Nerds Podcast, we see a new movie and we podcast our experience to the world. This week, we saw RRR. Stay tuned. Very soon, we'll recommend the film or not, play the trailer, and then spoil it. We'll also talk about the big news story of the week and one thing we've been watching. It's uh, a new year, guys. Is it a new you, or is it just the same old, same old? Same old, same old, um, man. How was everybody's Christmas? Brad, did you get everything you wanted? I got cash. That's the only thing I needed. <laughs> <laughs> cash money! I, I sent it directly to a credit card. <laughs> I bought a cricket machine like weeks before, so that was kind of like my Christmas gift to myself. A cricket, cricket machine? machine. Uh, one at a time, please. <laughs> uh, what's a cricket machine? Uh, it is like a vinyl cutter, and sometimes engraver, mm. and paper cutter. So, what will you be using it for? Well, I already used it to engrave some plastic or acrylic uh, slates. Uh, you know, when we won the Justice Team trophy to, uh, last year. Mm -hmm last last year um you know i had all three of our awards on it so it can only sit one place so i made two smaller ones so that mike and tanya could have it to appreciate in their home oh, for nice. their awards so i did that and then i'm going to mostly use it to cut like blu-ray and dvd cases and everything hmm. inserts so i don't have to go to fedex all the time and because it's digital it should be like pretty precise and it can also like score so like when i have to fold it is she able to be able to like create a more perfect line that I'm able to do? Very cool. Dang. I love it when I like spend a you know three dollars to print out a piece of cardstock with uh, my art on it and I go to score it and like I my hand just like skews off a little bit and it cuts a little impression mm -hmm. right through the the art. So I don't have the right setup. So hopefully this will take care of that. Nice. Be like Skynet. Just let the machines do everything. Totally. Ryan, Ryan, you're talking to Brad Butt. He already is a machine. I thought I thought we retired Brad Butt eleven years ago. I'm bringing him back. It's it's a new year. Let's reboot things because that's all it's done in this industry we love called movies. Yeah. Yeah. Reboot well, except no for the movie. For. Yeah. <laughs> In a world where no one asked for this. <laughs> What'd you get, Ryan? Um, I got peace, love, and happiness. The only thing that matters. Aww. But seriously, what'd you get material-wise? Um, what'd you buy I, for I yourself? Got, like, the same, I got like, <laughs> the same thing. Uh, my mom got me a gift card to Best Buy. My in-laws gave me cash. <clears throat> you know. 
it's easier mm-hmm. that way because I usually buy what I want. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, as a uh, old trying time in the old Frost household, our cat Mia died. Mm-hmm. Sad. She uh, was 18 years old. Dang. So she lived a long life. Hell of a cat life. Yep. Yeah. I'm sorry, buddy. Yeah, I'm all right. For the last year and a half, she was uh, had, I don't know what you'd call cat dementia, commentia, and um, she wouldn't use the litter box all the time. So she was like shitting on her bed constantly. And then Uh, the last like two months, she would just shit on the floor. Yeah. And then uh, on New Year's Day, Laura went and checked on her and she was barely alive. And then she died like 20 minutes later. So, you know. Uh, Oh, on her own, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, she wasn't like she had some form of cancer in her bowels or something like that. And we were giving her like these chemotherapy pills and she seemed like she, like she wasn't like in pain or suffering. She was just, it, it was weird. I, I didn't know cats could suffer from a form of dementia, but she'd, you know, she'd walk around and she'd be fine, but then she would forget where she was. It's really bizarre, mm-hmm. but she still, she still ate all the time and she drank all the time. And then she just, I guess I should know this since it's part of my job, but I think it, it's it's no different if you're a if you have a human brain or a cat brain. You know, if it's affecting brain cells, it's it's gonna it's gonna induce that form of uh, that form of disease, which which sucks. Yeah, I mean, if she was suffering and or in pain, we would have you know put her down. But mm-hmm. even even the day she passed away, she was still eating and like walking around. Mm-hmm. She just curled up on the dog bed like at night and then Laura checked on her at I don't know it was like four or four thirty and she was barely breathing and then she just passed away. Dang. But you gave her but you gave her a good home for her final for her final moments. And I think that that's the, if if she has cat dementia, then that's the best thing you can do. Yeah. I mean, it's really, you know, Laura's cat. I'm actually surprised because Laura really takes it really hard and mm. I think because she was doing so bad for the last couple of weeks, you know, like mm-hmm. the last couple of weeks, she would barely get out of this basket my wife made for her. And, um, I mean, she'd get up, drink water and eat, but then she'd go right back into it and lay down. Um, but I think Laura was kind of prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, it's okay. You know, 18 is a long time for an animal to live. Longer than most dogs. Yep. Yeah. This week on Real Nerds Podcast, we saw RRR, which is short for what, Brad? Rise, Roar, Revolt. Yeah. Brad, do you recommend RRR? Uh, I was the one who suggested it should be this week's episode, so I'm pretty sure I do recommend it. Um, I think it's a ton of fun. Um, I lament that neither of you got to see it in theaters like I did, which I think obviously improves the experience. Um, I don't think I'd want to watch this at home. <laughs> so, uh, I, yeah, it just seems like it'd be really diminished. It's such an epic movie that encompasses almost all the genres. So, uh, yeah, just watching it on TV and in your in, on your sound bar, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's 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 amazing. Zach. Yeah, man. Fuck. <laughs> All right. <laughs> let's just talk. Yeah, 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 go go watch the fucking movie. Now let's get to the spoilers. I want to talk about the random shit I saw that was amazing. <laughs> um, I don't think I liked it as much as you guys, but I, I will throw in this caveat that I think part of the reason is uh, I had to watch it on Netflix and it's the dubbed version, which makes the performances not as good yeah uh, it's that kind of sucks the closest you get is the hindi dub um which is yeah. not the actual language and the which was weird it reminded me of godzilla 1985 where <laughs> the, the english actors weren't dubbed 
but mm-hmm. the um, Indian actors were, and it, yeah. was just, it created this weird whiplash. And two, I, I, I don't think, I, I don't know. I just maybe it's because I'm not on. Like it is a lot, and I think tonally it's all over the place. Um, but yeah, I mean it's fun. Here's the trailer for RRR. ప్రభుత్వానికిస్తున్నాను చాలా ప్రమాదం ప్రాణాలు పోతాయిరా ఆనందంగా ఇచ్చేస్తాను బాబాయ్ నక్కల వేట ఎంతసేపు కుంభస్థలాన్ని బద్దల కొడదాం పదా Uh, this film takes place in 1920, and it's about revolting against the British Empire, I guess, in yeah. Hello, India. D- damn those colonialists. colonialists. <laughs> I, guess, I heard it's actually based on real events. You know, it's, it's like a dramatized heightened yeah, version it, of it. it. I would call it historical fiction. It's yeah. it's like Inglorious Bastards for uh but that their version of it because it's two different revolutionary leaders who never met, but the director was like looking at the coincidences in their lives and he's like, Well, what if they did meet and what if they went on an adventure? And then what if they did all the things that happened in that third act? <laughs> God, well, this a, movie's insane. It, yeah, I mean that's basically the story is there's two I guess that's where the rebel part comes in. Um, one is a guy who is loyal to the colonialists for a little bit until he goes to, I don't know, they're giving out awards or a promotion or what? I don't know what they're doing. Just <laughs> they a promotion. Only, yeah. Yeah. They only give it out to the white guys and he's like, fuck this. And that's after this crazy scene of, um, <laughs> so he's like on this outpost and, one of the general guys 
says, Oi, that guy over there. And it's uh, some guy with a red turban. And he's the only one wearing red. So I guess that's why we can find him. And then this dude fights through hundreds and hundreds of other people to get him. <laughs> and he drags him back while he's getting his ass kicked. <laughs> okay. Here, here, you know what? Fuck it. We could have had Superman with a mustache because I basically saw it in that scene. <laughs> that yeah, was I mean, he, fucking dope. <laughs> like he jumps on some like tower, like he's able to, you know, reach tall buildings in a single bound. Um, Look and then the we sky. meet the other guy. I, I forget their names, but the other guy is running from a tiger. <laughs> um. Oh, it's um. Uh, the the tiger guy is Beam Bream, and the other one is I think it's Raju, the one who's in the um the scuffle at the outpost. But yeah, the 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 this is I I texted this to Ryan as I was watching the movie. I was like. Fuck fuck Zack Snyder. This movie knows how to use slow ramp like better than anybody else. Because that fucking... I know it's a CG tiger. I don't give a shit. They made me believe that a man was outrunning a fucking tiger. What did he spit in his face? (laughs) Some kind of paralytic. And he's like apologizing because obviously like there's a sacred sacred, uh, uh... uh, kindredness towards animals in, in that culture so they don't want to they don't want to kill it but they're using it to fuel themselves so there's like an apology aspect to it i believe um yeah all the animals it looks in the like, are cgi yeah i think that has to do with the, a vegetarian aspect of things i i don't know i'm not <laughs> i'm not versed in this part of the world and then and then the cop guy has his captain america moment where he's punching a heavy bag so hard it's knocking the sand out of it <laughs> and then you know what he you know what he does do later that i love he does something similar but to a, he he basically does the raging bull move but he gets way farther than robert de niro ever did at that wall <laughs> yeah so yeah uh eventually uh they cross paths by saving a, the, a child who's about to like fall <laughs> off a bridge right bridge. yeah because yeah, it's didn't the one guy pay him to go get him a fish or something I, that was happening. I saw this in March. I just tried. I'm struggling so hard to remember. <laughs> I, I just re- that that part was funny though because they uh, the one guy who was on a horse was doing hand motions to the guy on the motorcycle that he completely understood that he needed to tie this rope around himself, and they both jumped opposite ways because they're destined to be best buds. Like they have an instant <laughs> connection. Law versus crime. And yet and he gives they have a common the, thread. The uh I guess the rebel flag because he flies through fire with it and then comes back out on the other side. Because he's a badass. You know how long it takes to get the opening title of this movie? Yeah, it's after like that part, I think. Like 30, then, 40 minutes? Yeah, I think that this all we're only 45 minutes in the movie right now. And then it goes for like 20 minutes of like some bromance. <laughs> yeah, and then the one dude meets the uh, like, I don't know, daughter or assistant of the colonials, and mm-hmm. uh, that kicks off like his uh, yeah, his the like his romance, and then they have like a, a dance off or something. Yep. <laughs> oh, d- d- just a dance off. It's the best dance off. I'm sorry, Peter Quill ain't got nothing on these two. Did you see the shit they pulled? It's amazing. Yeah, the, like the whole town gets in on it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, oh, um, th- there is one plot element where kind of over the, the the main arching point, I guess, emotionally is that at the beginning of the film, a bunch of colonialists colonialists give a bunch of money, thinking that that to oh, to yeah. a, a peasant tribe, thinking that uh, that they are, uh, and the 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 tribe thinks that they're buying her, the art that this little girl made, but they're actually buying the little girl, and then they're, they're engaged fucking, in human trafficking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Played they're by get, they're um, getting little, you know, indigenous children to these wealthy colonials. You know, yeah, it's like it's, the slave trade in the United States in this country. But the um, like the the like Civil War, think Civil War era, but obviously in the colonial era in the 1920s. And then uh and it's Ray Stevenson and Allison Duty uh from um Indian uh, Last Crusade. Indian, yeah, Last Crusade, yeah. Um and there's a whole thread about 
do you know how much a bullet costs? <laughs> and uh, it it's actually has a really wonderful payoff by the end of the movie when they finally like like yeah where that bullet finally does hit. Um, but yeah, I just thought that's important because the big rescue attempt that involves a whole bunch of fucking animals getting out of a fucking cage. <laughs> yeah. But this, is, this is right before intermission where their plan is to assault the Capitol and like turn a bunch of caged animals loose. Mm -hmm. um, and it's spectacular. <laughs> All these colonialists are getting just uh, mauled and uh, torn apart. And then, yeah, it, that's intermission. And then that's one half of the movie. Yep. And then the second half, I would say it starts dipping more into drama territory, I guess. Because well, it, it's, it stops being an action movie for a second. Yeah, it flashes back to, I think, uh, the other guy's backstory. Yeah, uh, the, the officers. Yeah. yeah, we haven't got, had that as, as much. Um, and then it comes back to where he, he's trapped in a prison. <laughs> and then what might be the best part of the movie is when his buddy comes to break him out. Like they've already fr had a fractured relationship, um, because uh, the police officer guy found out that his buddy, you know, is a criminal. That th like he's the one he he's been assigned to uh, track down and arrest, and mm -hmm. they've been and it turns out they've been hanging out together this whole time. So, uh, yeah, the the criminal one comes back and rescues him, and the uh, officer guy his legs don't work, <laughs> so he <laughs> becomes his legs. <laughs> You watch the whole thing, right, Ryan? A rifle, yeah. a rifle, a rifle in each hand. By the way, yeah, the, and able to reload it. <laughs> yeah, off the gun top, top with both guns, and then his buddy, <laughs> who's the, the the strong guy, is his legs, and they fight their way out. It, oh my god, so amazing! <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I don't know, man. Like, I didn't get swept up into it like everybody else did. I, I mean, I know people are talking about his picture of the year at the Oscars, and I don't oh. think. <laughs> We're not lucky enough. All. We're not lucky enough for this movie to win Best Picture. <laughs> really, you weren't enamored by that whole premise, and then like once he is out, like it goes into full Rambo mode. <laughs> <laughs> yes, where the <laughs> officer guys just yeah, like literally just just imagine Rambo, and he just basically like the 2008 Rambo and everybody <laughs> in the forest, like taking down those uh, colonists. And here's get, a like super gory. <laughs> yeah. And here and here's a pro tip for anybody out there if you're if if you, if you have weapons of any kind, don't store them all in one place because somebody will throw a motorcycle through the fucking window. <laughs> a flaming one at that and set the whole fucking place ablaze. Uh, I can't believe none of that won you over. I'm so disappointed. He literally lifts a motorcycle up and beats somebody with it. Yeah, it's <laughs> Like, it's a fun movie. I, I just, um, I don't see the pedigree behind it. Like, I mean, it's shot well. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just an asshole. I think, yeah, I think the, I, I think the, idea, <laughs> I think the idea is that it's, it seems like such high concept, high budget filmmaking that feels sort of slanted towards an American style of thinking that you see out of a superhero movie coming out of a country that doesn't normally get this kind of attention. And that's kind of part of its brilliance. And it's also interesting to watch a film coming out of that country, speaking on their perspective of colonial oppression. So I, I think that there's a couple of different factors running around into it. Sure. But I mean, I, I get all that stuff, but it's also really heavy handed and I don't think it's as well written as some movies. And I mean, the action and stuff, and it's really cool. Don't get me wrong. I think it's shot really well. Um, but it, it, to me, the, the, the story just isn't there. And it's, I mean, it's a cool movie. The action's awesome. I love all the gore. Um, but it's, I, I just think it's, I don't know. I, I'm, I just wasn't enamored with it on an ultimate level where it's getting all this praise where it's one of the best movies of the year. I mean, I definitely don't think it's that. I, I will, I will side with Ryan in a corner on in terms of the story. I thought the dialogue was kind of the weakest part of the film for me because there is a lot of expo expositional dialogue kind of centered around it. And it's almost like it's there to support the top, the running time 
because this movie is long. It's a three hour ride. The action sequences, to my mind, carried you through. But there is like a there is a tinge of melodramatic over the top. The only reason that I was able to get on board with it, I think, is because I w- walked into this expecting an action movie, and it absolutely delivered on that promise. So when I'm watching an action movie, I'm not expecting the world's greatest story. To- I'm not expecting David Mamet or fucking Quentin Tarantino to necessarily blow me away with dialogue. I just need to watch well-choreographed action without necessarily needing uh, the the world's greatest wordsmith at the helm. But I, I totally get it. It's got some weak spots. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I think it's, it's probably that dub. You know, it's just someone else rewriting, um, you know, everything to fit English into, you know, their, their mouths and like make it look like it's synced up. And it's just, you know, something's lost. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what I said. I mean, I put that caveat in there. I think I might have enjoyed this more if it wasn't for the dub. Um, but at it's the like, same time, it doesn't take away from the uh, overall, like, it, it's a cool movie, but narratively, I don't think it's one of the best movies of the year. I mean, far from it, but it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, if I if I'd seen this in time to slip it into my film explosion list, it would not be cracking the top five necessarily, but I'd have to put it on there because I, out of the things that I've seen this year, only one other film matches it in terms of its audacious nature. And that would be everything everywhere all at once. So I'll always give it up to a film for doing that, but I get it. It's, it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea, but damn, those action sequences are fucking cool. Yeah. Like I said, I think it's well-made. I think the director knows what he's doing. You know, it's definitely, uh, a well choreographed and well shot film, but you're right. If you want to see guys out running tigers, throwing motorcycles that are on fire, killing a <laughs> bunch of people and using each other as a pendulum to rescue one boy while a train is going to fall on him <laughs> and dancing don't a forget on a bridge on fire, then this is your movie. <laughs> oh, and if you want to see some kind of deer stab, a, a colonialist in the arm. This is your <laughs> this fucking that fucking animal sequence. Holy shit! I thought that's the most insane this movie will ever get. There's no way that the movie will get any more insane than a bunch of animals being let loose inside of this compound. And I was fucking wrong. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, I just hope it comes back to the theaters someday. I think it will. You know that this is only available on Netflix, at least. From on our end of things, that sucks. I think if it you know makes the Oscars, I think they re-release it. So, oh yeah, crossed. I'm sure they will. Well, I mean, I'd be shocked. It, I mean, it might not get Best Picture. It'll definitely be nominated for Best International Film for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, it's too big a hit. It can't, it can't not get that recognition. Well, well, not even the hit. I mean, it, it's it's <laughs> impressive. It's made very impressively. Um, Can you imagine the clip show for the nominees for best international uh, international film? And it's it's more or less maybe some some sincere dramas, maybe a, a heartwarming comedy, and then all of a sudden it's the clip of him throwing that motorcycle into the fucking compound. <laughs> this contrast is just going to be fucking amazing to watch on live television. <laughs> I mean, if I was in charge of the Oscars, I definitely use that scene. Now it's it's either that or the fucking I don't think you could show the animal scene because there's too much gore in it. I mean, if they want to get more people to watch the Oscars, they would. I mean, we've always said that the the Oscars should be TVMA, right? (laughs) Jason should come out and present an award and then kill everybody in the orchestra. I don't know. (laughs) This is the big news story of the week. It's real news. I don't know. There's not really much going on. Um, really, the only big movie news is uh, Jeremy Renner got hurt really bad helping someone t- this week. Yeah, what he, are the details uh, about that? I'm sorry? What are the details about that? Uh, so he... 
he went to help someone who was stranded in a, like a huge snowstorm. And um, yeah, he when he did that, he was using his snowplow. And the snowplow, like he got out to help him and his own snowplow ran him over. Like one of those electric push ones? No, it's like a, like a snowcat is huge. Wow, wow, okay. Yeah, so he suffered blunt force trauma to the chest and shit. Um, yeah, he was hurt pretty bad, but uh, about two hours before we came on, he posted a, a story on his Instagram account saying that he, he's in a lot of pain, but he looks like he's going to be okay. Guess he lost a lot of blood and everything that he's a tourniquet. is pretty crazy. Ugh. Ugh. But, uh, I mean, he's just doing adventure things out there saving people. Mm-hmm. That is true. You know, someone, someone's got to. Yep, exactly. So hopefully a, uh, he, Mr. Renner will be okay. Yep, that's right. No, and then he can, he's a two-time Oscar nominee. I did not even remember that. Oh, yeah, Hurt Locker and The Town. Yep. Yeah, he's good and in The Town. I know before The Hurt Locker, I watched this interview with him. He was really struggling, and... um he got the Hurt Locker and then got the town and then the Avengers and Mission Impossible. And I mean, yeah, talk about us. Yeah. <laughs> he also got the Born Legacy. Yeah. We don't talk about that, do we? Well, that's an all right movie. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, it exists. Yeah. More movies are pulpy fun. Um, well, I mean, Ryan, can, can, I, I know we don't want to go down a rabbit hole of anger because we've only got three minutes left, but, um, do, do we want to address the, the egregious sin that's been committed by HBO max this time? Uh, I mean, at this point, it's just what it is. That's all they do. Well, we're let's, um, give, let's give a bitch about HBO max on every episode now. Like, uh, Oh, I I'll, I'll start a whole podcast dedicated to it, but no, um, I, I think, I, 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 I think I, our three minutes are better spent talking about evil Dead rise, which I'm surprised Ryan didn't lead with. That is a good point. There's a poster out. Yeah. And a, well, and a trailer. Mean, uh, well, we're seeing the real trailer tomorrow, but, um, yeah. I mean, Bruce Campbell introduces, uh, a quick 32nd spot, which kind of has a nice, uh, feel to it where this little girl looks out in a peephole and says mommy you don't look well and her mommy is possessed by the deadites so um, Ambrose Campbell is hyping it before and he says it's uh, a really great movie and it's really you know scary and gory so you think it's like a Ghostbusters afterlife version of Evil Dead I don't think so where because it's about the kids and the ghost of Ash <laughs> comes out and defeats the deadites <laughs> Well, Ash, uh, Ash, Bruce Campbell said he's not in the movie. Um, he's just a producer. Yeah, he's just a producer. Ah, uh, that that's that's malarkey. He's got to come back. He's got to. He swore he was done with it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we'll see. I mean, I don't think he's going to be in it because it it also looks like they're kind of. Um, I, I like that they're expanding it to a urban setting too. I think that's cool. Yeah, that's um, a dope idea you know, being stuck in a high rise building and hopefully the, I mean, if how many freaking people can the deadites infect then or possess, yeah. I guess is a better word. Is is there a way to get the deadites to fight John McClane? Like, like in some kind of like, I don't know, mashup suede screening, like Swede movie, like be quiet rewind. <laughs> it's really be really tough for uh vines to, stretch out and grab people in a concrete apartment complex. So that's well, yeah, it won't be, it won't be vines this time. <laughs> It'll be like the conduits and uh, the electric stuff. Or, 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 or also the vines of the trees from central park getting their revenge for the plowing of the earth. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Evil. I mean, the new <laughs> evil dead <laughs> deadites are the freaking CEOs of, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery for taking <laughs> Looney Tunes off the air. Oh, what a great segue into the worst crime that could be committed at the beginning of the year. Uh, to I be read, fair, though, they could be for maintenance. I don't know. That's what I read that that's what they did it for. But like I've been saying uh, <laughs> the last fucking year, you know what I, you know what I find. 
Oh, sorry. Go ahead. They're going to find ways for you not to have everything that you want. Because you know what? You know what I did though, Ryan. Though to 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 put up or shut up. I've I've been three volumes behind on the Golden Collection. Well, each of them is about seventeen dollars now in the repackaged version. So I went ahead and got them. Now I've got them all coming to my shelf. It's all going to be there now. Won't have well, to worry learned, about it. I learned from that uh, YouTube thing you sent me about Porky Pig. Yeah, that Jerry Beck planned ten of them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what a world That's we could have had. Yep. <laughs> yep. There's more. There. Oh my God! The guy who runs. Uh, Warner Archives, uh, he's on a podcast called The Extras, and man, some of the stuff they talk about, like, there's a there's a combination of frustration with the corporate structure while also going like, yeah, I wish fans wouldn't bitch so much, because then we might get more of these. <laughs> but, well, you know, it just, it, at the end of the day, it's your money that's going to talk. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I was reading an article that it took about a year and a half for Porky 101 to break even. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, if people really want the stuff. They got to show with their dollars. And unfortunately, you can't expect pristine copies each time out the gate because not all of those elements exist because lack of care or concern or anything uh, has affected those prints over time. And you have about 20 years before some of them start kicking the bucket permanently because of being on nitrate print. But it's 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 sad, <laughs> you know. Yep, but that's you just you buy them. Get them if you see them. Yeah, Tex Avery, Popeye, those are all available on Warner Archive. Which I own. Ah, it's to Ryan Frost. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah, classic cartoons all day, every day. Who doesn't love a spinach-eating sailor and uh, a wolf that uh, is in a tuxedo? These are the things we all enjoy in life. <laughs> this is the one thing we've been watching. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Hey, you know what, guys? I'm going to guess the one thing Corinne's been watching is anime. She's going to tell us all about it right now. Hey, nerds, Corinne here for another installment of Showtime where I tell you all about something cool I've been watching lately. This week I'm tackling Miss Scarlet and the Duke because I finally caught up. I watched all of season one and then watched the rest of the episodes of season two I hadn't seen yet. So if you missed my showtime a couple weeks ago, I can tell you that Miss Scarlet and the Duke is about a female detective in 1870s, 1880s. And she has this um, interesting relationship both working in personal relationship with a detective inspector in Scotland Yard whose last name is Wellington, so they nickname him the Duke. And, uh, you know, I watched four episodes in season two without having seen episode, or without having seen season one. So going back and watching the show from the very beginning, it it was pretty good. It was a little, like season one was, I don't say it's a little different. Um, so I think I may have said that she basically took over her father's private detective business. And I, I had gleaned that much from the episodes I did see in season two, but in season one, you find out exactly how that happens. Like the very first episode, her father dies. And then we find out in the season one finale that he was actually murdered. So in the various episodes in season one, they kind of have, like, different, like, people have, um, like, visions, or they imagine him in the room, and they have conversations with him, because, uh, the very first episode when he dies, like, you don't see him on screen until he's dead, so it was just kind of interesting, I'm like, why did they go through the trouble of casting a guy if, if he's dead when we first meet him, and it's like, oh, because he, like, his little vision or whatever pops up, uh, or people's imagination of him talking to them pops up, you know, over the course of the the show. And that only happens in season one. Like, again, the finale is about, like, they find out he was actually murdered, not that he died of natural causes as they previously thought. And I guess mild spoilers for a detective mystery show, but they've 
solve the murder. I won't say what it was or who did it, but they do solve his murder. And so that kind of puts his spirit to rest. So you don't see him pop up again in season two. And I appreciated that because I think it would have gotten old by that point. And it's like, okay, you know, like his spirit is put to rest. You solved his murder. You took over his business. Like all is right with the world, relatively speaking. So as to Miss Scarlet and Duke's personal relationship or just their relationship in general. So he was her father's um, kind of protege. Like he, uh, her father was like his mentor and kind of like a secondary father figure for him growing up. And so him and Eliza, that's her first name, they were pretty close, like at least through their formative years and um, their teenage years. And it was kind of hinted that there might have been some romantic feelings between them as teenagers. I guess there was an incident where like he kissed her, but they just, you know, they laugh it off. And so they kind of have this, they're kind of like pseudo siblings, but they also bicker like an old married couple. And I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older, so my tolerance for bullshit is lower, or if it's just because watching all the episodes back to back rather than, you know, once a week like you do when it's on TV, but their nagging of each other is just so, so frustrating. (laughs) And I got real bored with it real fast. I'm like, you all are just just another instance of, oh, we bicker like an old married couple, and therefore, like, we're in love with each other secretly, and it's, I'm like, I'm so tired of this trope, like, can we please retire this one? Uh, yeah, it's, so, season one, again, mild spoilers if you care, but season one ends with them kind of going on a date, and then it picks up at the beginning of season two, and they've been kind of going out on dates, and they, like, there's, like, one scene where they, like, hold hands, and I'm, like, ooh, like, it's getting a little spicy up in here, and then there's, like, a falling out that happens between them because of professional things, and they realize, like, you know, we can't pursue a romantic relationship like we would like to, but, you know, we still care about each other, either platonically or romantically or whatever, but we can't be in a relationship. So I was right when I was picking up on these, uh, these hints that like, oh, these two like each other or there's like tension here. I mean, the fact that they call each other by their first names in Victorian London is a huge deal. And even in the first episode, I noticed that I'm like, well, they call each other, you know, Eliza and William, like nobody does that unless they're like siblings or they're married and they're neither, so, but now, of course, I have a little bit more context for why that was, but anyway, um, I gotta say, uh, I, I, all the actors do an excellent job, but I think the way that Miss Scarlet is written, I'm not trying to, I can't tell if they try to make her endearing or, like, she, she's a flawed character, but her flaws, I'm not sure if they're, like, haha, isn't this funny? Like, she's so manipulative, and she's so, you know, bossy and shit, and, but are they trying to do it in a way that's, like, haha, endearing? Don't you just love her? Like, she's so, it's just, she's such a rascal, or if they're trying to make it so that she is mm, uh, flawed, let's say that way, um, because, yeah, she, she does manipulate the people around her a lot, especially Duke. Um, she preys on his insecurities and his habits and his affection for her, whether that's platonic or romantic or what have you. But yeah, she, yeah, again, I'm like, are they trying to make her like the super heroic character? Or are they trying to make her a very, you know, flawed, but heroic character? And I think that maybe the writers want to make her flawed, but the direction and, like, the music that comes in whenever, you know, like, when she's trying to be manipulative and she, like, outwits him or whatever, or she withholds information and it's, like, the little, like, music sting that comes in is like, ha ha ha, isn't it so funny that I'm better at this than you are? And it's like, what the hell? So am I supposed to root for her in that she's manipulative or am I supposed to find this disturbing? Because... 
I find it disturbing, but I don't know if you want me to find it amusing. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's... I, <laughs> I actually just rewatched the ep- the very first episode that I saw in season two. And I'm like, I kind of understand why I got locked into this show. Because the very first episode I saw, she's barely in it. Because she gets accused of a crime, so she has to go into hiding. And she doesn't pop in until, like, the very end. So there's, like, no negging and there's no manipulation and all this bullshit. And honestly, it's, like, Wellington teams up with um, this associate of hers who has, like, a criminal background. But he's actually, like, a really good guy. But, you know, because he's Jamaican, everybody makes assumptions and all this bullshit. But those two team up to kind of help clear Eliza's name. And I'm like, oh, that's, yeah. I'm like, I really like that dynamic. Like, that was a lot of fun. So... It makes sense, like, that like that being the first episode I watched, by the time I got into all the episodes where they are nagging each other, and they are, or she is being kind of a, well, to be honest, kind of a bitch. Um, not, like, really, but, you know, at least she's on that spectrum, but anyway. Um, where she's being a flawed character, I'll say that. Um, yeah, so by the time I get to those episodes, I'm like, I'm already in, you know. Plus, it's got the mystery element to it. So, obviously, I enjoy that part of it. But, generally speaking, I think everybody other than Eliza, I love all the characters. But, Eliza, as a character, I think she needs to do a lot more growing. She's only, she's supposed to be, like, 27. And, I not like 27-year-olds can't be flawed. But, I'm like, I think you should be a little bit more mature than this by now. But, okay. Whatever. Anyway, so... I I think it's a good show. Like, whenever season three comes out, I'm definitely going to watch it. There's only six episodes in season one and then six episodes in season two. And they're about 45 minutes to an hour long. So if you're interested in mystery shows or period dramas, I highly recommend it because it's a perfect blend of both. You know, you got the detective element, you got the romance, period drama, all that shit. So yeah, if you're into any of that, I recommend it. I... It's on PBS, but I, again, picked up the DVDs from the library, so you could do that too. So, Miss Scarlet and the Duke, check it out if you want. Alright, thanks nerds. I'll talk to you guys next time with something. Bye! Full disclosure, um, I don't hear these before Brad <laughs> puts them in, <laughs> and uh, he told me that it was an anime. Brad, you're a liar. It's a British fucking show where they probably drink a bunch of tea, eat biscuits instead of cookies, and pretend they're smarter than everybody else. Now, 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 Ryan. In defense, they usually are smarter than us Americans, but I get it. No, they're not. They've lost to us twice in war. Count it. Uh, it's reminding me of that Simpsons joke. You know, he saved your ass in World War II, and then he goes, well, we saved your ass in World War Three." <laughs> since uh you didn't hear the clip i'll recap for you uh when her father dies eliza scarlet finds herself facing a difficult choice as an unmarried woman she faces poverty without a husband to provide for her unless she takes on the challenge of running her late father's detective agency which would be unthinkable for a respectable victorian lady fortunately she finds an unlikely like unlikely partner in the unconventional detective inspector william wellington of scotland yard <laughs> Very Red Reddington <laughs> vibes there. Yes, my name is Wellington. William Wellington. I say, I say, Wellington, are you going to solve the mystery of who uh, threw somebody down the tunnel? Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> is that a Family Guy character? Like William T. Underbite or something? Oh, yeah, that's right. I didn't even know what I was trying to do. I think, well, no, you're, it, that's like, God, I, 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 I wish we could continue this bit. Uh, so anyway, he's the Duke, obviously, and the pair begin to tackle tackle the crimes and mysteries of Victorian London together. You see, not- I'm the Duke, love, and what I do is I solve crimes. I go around London and I say, boy, it's really foggy here, and any criminal could get away if they wait till the fog gets to a certain point, and they won't be able to see the murder happen. I don't know. Ryan, because, uh, just, just an idea. We travel you back in time and we put you in a detective series in Golden Age Hollywood that compares to Sherlock Holmes. Done. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> William Wellington's wacky, whimsical adventures. <laughs> well, would you watch Ryan? Because I want this to be like a two-hour episode. Um, I actually the only thing I watched this week. Uh, let me just double check my notes because I'm pretty sure that's it. Because uh, unlike you buttheads, I have to work on holidays and I get my ass kicked on them. So, um, you know, uh, I watched uh, a goofy movie with my kid, Kellen. Um, yeah. And if there is a movie that is more 80 than a Goofy's, I mean, 90s than a Goofy movie, I don't know what it is. Um, still a really cute movie, uh, killing back the layers of a father-son relationship. But, I mean, I totally forgot about the Polly Shore um, animated and, and all he goes is eating cheese <laughs> okay. Max look it's the leaning tower of cheese <laughs> and that's um, yeah that's a goofy movie but it, there is a really sweet story about um, what it means to be a father and the two clashing styles of being a father where you know Pete keeps uh, PJ under his under uh, your thumb, Goof. Thumb, and Goofy is more of a caring, I don't know, caring's probably not the right word, um, a more understanding father. Um, you mean a good father? Uh, hey, Pete's not a bad father. Yeah. He's disciplinary, and I'll give him that. Yeah, it doesn't mean he's a bad guy. No, 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 no. No, he's, he's he, he retired from his days kicking the shit out of Mickey on a steamboat. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Like he's no longer peg like Pete in no. goof in goof troop uh canon. He's just, you know, a suburban dad who's a he little got a, he got a robotic leg and settled down with a wife and kid. <laughs> yeah. And what's really sad too is uh, there is this uh underlying thing that uh you know Max's mom died and Goofy's a single father and it's uh yeah, it's interesting. And Goofy's last name is Goof, so his name is Goofy Goof, which harkens back to Mario Mario. <laughs> yep. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's literally all I watched this week was um, a Goofy movie. Which I did watch other things, but I, I have my list of my 22 favorite Blu-rays of 2022 coming out soon, and I'll uh, start dropping those as well. Nice. Brad? Trying to decide if I want to talk about uh, SNL season six or EO. I kind of uh, want to hear EO? about EO, the donkey movie that <laughs> yeah. made me want to contemplate suicide. Oh my god! <laughs> what? <laughs> That's exaggerating. Um, yeah. So, uh, among the Oscar conversation is this movie that all things I read said it was this delightful movie about a donkey who goes on adventures and you know, explores humanity in his adventures. And um, yeah, that's a that's sort of what happens. But uh, really, uh, every good thing he does is countered by something bad happening. <laughs> um, I and, guess I'll just go kill myself. Oh, Eeyore, now stop. Or I mean, EO, now stop yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's where my head went thinking that, like this could be an Eeyore movie. Um, <laughs> Who origins? Yeah. So it starts out this donkey EO, he's in a circus and um, he's got this trainer who loves him. But then the circus gets, uh, I guess, sold and auctioned out and he gets sent away um, to be a work donkey for some stable that has like high end horses. And uh, I'll also mention there's probably like five lines of dialogue in this whole movie. Everything hmm. else is very much silent perspective of the donkey itself so anyway yeah he goes off and then uh he's a slave at this stable and you're just watching the main horse be a total diva all the time and uh EO's and this is all done through the animals acting not through them talking like in babe or anything like that yeah the animals facial expressions and the editing basically mm. you very much feel for eo the whole time which is Probably the most amazing part. Are these um, uh, real animals or are they CGI? As far as I can tell, they're uh, 100% real. Um, there are six donkeys throughout the movie. 
uh, that they use. At the very end, you can kind of tell that they are different. But um, yeah, it's, it's, I don't think there's any CGI in this at all. It's made by some mm. like 80 year old Polish dude. It's a Polish film, too. Um, so he's wandering the Polish countryside. Um, he escapes the stable, ends up in um, another farm uh, where things are looking good for him. And magically, his old trainer shows back up. Uh, uh, you know, she hooked up with a dude on a motorcycle. And then he thinks he's going to get rescued and that she's going to let him go. And then she just, you know, gives him a treat and then goes back to her boyfriend. And she, you're like, oh, she's going to show up at the end of the movie and rescue him again, like later. And uh, yeah, that doesn't happen. Um, he escapes on his own and then he wanders in the forest and he wanders into a hunting preserve and almost gets shot to death Oh, geez. while they're killing wolves. And then he goes to uh shoot me my letterbox i totally wrote a awesome review of this <laughs> oh and then uh he wanders into um you know a soccer game and you think oh uh he's a good luck charm he's going to become the mascot for this team that just won and so the team takes him to some uh I don't know, rec center to party um over their victory and then the opposing team that's all pissed off that they lost track down the party and then like like shoot and beat up all the players and all, everyone partying. And then uh, it, like EO's just eating out. Wait, do you say shoot? I think, I think someone got shot, but mostly <laughs> they like just attack them with like clubs and things. Mm. And then, uh, yeah, EO's out grazing. And then you think, you know, the two cars are going to drive away and one does, but the other one stops and they're like, there's the donkey. And then they beat the shit out of the donkey. <laughs> oh my God. Jesus. And so, uh, yeah, he gets rescued and taken to an animal veterinarian. And they're like, yeah, we help animals here. And they revive him. Uh, and then one of the assistants that, like, cleans all the cages or something, I guess, either kidnapped him or bought him. And then he, like, basically puts him back into slavery. And that dude runs a uh, fox skinning place. Or, yeah, so he skins all these foxes. And then Eos having nothing to do with that, so he kicks the dude in the face. Nice, <laughs> kills him. Good. Uh, but then this other, yeah, uh, you know, group of people, I guess, collects his assets, and Eos part of it. So like they take the horses, but they're like, I guess we'll take the donkey too. And then you know, like, it's another fun thing where he's on this road trip in this uh, tractor trailer, and he's seeing the countryside, and you don't know if it's going to a good place or a bad place. And that dude gets off at a truck stop and he um, uh, like gets some food and shares it with uh, some uh, like vagrant person. And it's this really nice scene. And then uh, he says something stupid and she runs away. Um, so like, uh, it's like, now that giving giving you food, you have to have sex with me. And it's like, it's a dumb joke, but you're like not expecting her to come back and slash his throat. <laughs> What the? F is this rated R? Uh, I it's either R or not rated because it's like a you know international film, but yeah, it's just like every time something good happened, it was countered with like horrible, horrible death. And uh, yeah, the second to last thing is um, yeah, the police show up and they're investigating the murder, and everything. So Eo's just tied up to a fence somewhere, and this ski dude who's like on the, his way back from a trip, his car breaks down. And then he has to walk the rest of the way. He comes across the crime scene and he, you know, finds EO and he's like, decides to take him away. Like he sneaks him out and takes him for himself. And he go, like, turns out this dude's super rich. So he takes him back to his mansion uh, where his mom's waiting for him. And uh, like the mom's all pissed off because I guess he was, uh, you know, gambled a bunch of their money away. And so this whole thing unravels. And at the end of that, you find out that they're like incestuous. <laughs> Oh like, God damn it. You just can't catch a break and he escapes again. And uh, yeah, like before the end, he's walking across this bridge. And so you just get the perspective of him looking down the bridge into this waterfall, you know, like a Niagara Falls kind of situation. And it's just watching the water churn. And I'm sitting there going like, this donkey wants to kill himself, doesn't he? Like, he's so disappointed in the world. He's about to jump. Um. Yeah, and then he wanders into a slaughterhouse, and you're just like, Jesus Christ. 
this director wow. is really disappointed in the world. Like, just <laughs> really awful look at humanity. So. Jesus. Um, Does Jersey Skomlimowski... I hope I pronounced that wrong or right. I don't know. But does the director of EO need a hug? I think so. Uh, all right. I'm going to Poland, guys. <laughs> uh, one of my f- favorite reviews on Letterboxd by somebody else was, the moral of the story, Europe sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was a... Uh, I, I just love the description. It was like, this heartwarming tale of... <laughs> Seeing the the world through the eyes of this donkey and his wonderful adventures, disaster and despair. I didn't think it was like full on like maybe cut my wrist to spare. Shoot, <laughs> jeez. Yeah, the, the official description is the world is a mysterious place when seen through the eyes of an animal. Eo, a gray donkey with melancholic eyes, meets good and bad people on his life's path, experiences joy and pain, endures the wheel of fortune randomly, turning his luck into disaster and his despair into unexpected bliss. I don't remember what the bliss is <laughs> like. Everything was just despair, <laughs> but not even for the moment does he lose his innocence, except when he wanders into a slaughterhouse. Oof. Uh, uh. Yeah. Uh. All right. Zach, what'd you watch this week? Well, I decided to kick off a challenge that you and I have dedicated ourselves to Mr. Frost. Because we are going to go back throughout this year to the year 1933, 90 years ago this year, a world of pre-code sin and cinema. Um, and I chose to kick this off. Uh, this little, Hollywood. What? Yeah, yeah. 1933. <laughs> Look at them gams. Ain't they wonderful? <laughs> There's Groucho Marx. Wave hi, Groucho. Um, yeah, no, I decided to kick off this little... Uh, 33 fest that Ryan and I are both engaged in um, with gold, the gold diggers of 1933. It's a uh, Mervyn Leroy directed film with sequences by Busby Berkeley for the dance and musical numbers. Um, you get early appearances by Ginger Rogers in here. Um, you're, uh, you're one of your big main stars though, is Joan Blondell, the wonderful Joan Blondell. Uh, the story really revolves around, uh a show that keeps getting uh, a show producer whose shows keep getting closed down and um he thinks he has another show and tries to get all the women that and men that were part of the show back on the team but he doesn't have the money um but this uh loner songwriter played by dick powell somehow just magically winds up giving them fifteen thousand dollars to make a show but he's just like i can't tell you where the money came comes from or who i am for reasons and then uh after the show is a big hit, it's revealed that oh no, he's actually the the son that uh, the son of a bunch of blue bloods, and he's the heir to an entire fortune. And his fortune uh, protecting brother is like now, now see here, these show people are just going to steal and rob from you. And he's like, no, they're not. And he goes, well, I'll prove it to you. So he tries to seduce the woman that he's engaged to, but the woman he thinks he's engaged to is actually Joan Blondell. And so it becomes a comedy of mishaps and farce that is interwoven with amazing, amazing musical numbers. Um, the lesser known is Petten in the Park, which is literally, I think, Ryan, it's designed to slap the code in the face intentionally on a grand scale. Um, it's been a while since I've watched the movie, and the one that I remember the most is Forgotten Man. Uh, but Petten in the Park is a is a big old pre-code bonanza of just skimpy costumes, uh, suggestive material running throughout. There's a kid who's like opening up blinds where a bunch of women are getting undressed. It's, it's all kinds of insane. Um, but uh, the movie ends with a number called forgotten man. And the whole through line is that they're going to do a Broadway show about the depression and what the number ends up becoming is about the men who went off to war, then became destitute, and that the government had basically forgotten in forms such as employment or veterans pay. Uh, and so it's it's an amazing example of what Hollywood was doing at that time with little to no restrictions because they were kind of just circumventing the code. And they were able to basically just kind of make these hard-hitting statements 
while also inserting a bunch of sex violence and all kinds of things rock that they roll. would yeah, rock and roll. Yes. There we go. I, I would consider, I, I would consider Ned Sparks rock and roll. Cause he does yell at people throughout that movie. So I'm getting out of here. Um, but yeah, it's, it is an example of sheer audacity from Warner brothers camp when it used to, you know, give a shit about making good movies. Uh, Warner brothers would make great movies. And this is one of them. Uh, it's not the best musical from this year, but it's definitely up there as one of the finest that's ever been produced. And if you even want to just an example of the ending, the ending doesn't spoil anything. Go look up the forgotten man, uh, song, uh, and dance number because it is hard hitting. It is provocative and you'll be shocked that it was getting done as early as 1933. So, so yeah, hell of a way to kick off the year 1933 in review. Very cool. Next week. On Real Nerds Podcast, we are doing 2022 Film Explosion. If you want to be a part of that and send us your list, we need it by January 8th, sometime midday or something like that. Just send it before January 8th, I guess, is a good way to say it. Can I send it by January 8th, Midsommar? Not midday, Midsommar? Boo. Boo. No, no, no. I won't be, I won't be silenced. <laughs> Florence Pugh looks down on you yeah she should with a very loud boo <laughs> as i rhymed should. three words in there how about you <laughs> yes uh, uh, bye bye well a real nerd knows who shot a real nerd can follow the plot and a real nerd look at all the gods lights can Thanks for listening to Real Nerds Podcast, a Nebulous Visions production. Stream or download episodes, read articles at realnerdspodcast.com. Stream us on Apple or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or iHeartRadio. Follow us on Facebook, Real Nerds Podcast. Twitter and Instagram, at Real Nerds. Watch us on YouTube, Real Nerds Podcast. Email us at realnerds at gmail.com. Call us at 720-6Nerds5. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill, Mike at Plan 9 Studios, and Bologna for all of our groovy theme songs. And that's how you fucking do it.